Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this opportunity to reflect on your word, to allow your word to be our light, to allow your word to be our guide, to allow your word to be what shapes our life, not just in the future, but here on earth. Pour down your Holy Spirit on us and help us to, to see and understand you and what it means for us to be following a living God and for us to be your living disciples. Heavenly Father, help us to let go of those things that don't matter to you. And Lord, we thank you for the love you have for us and the love you have for all people. Amen. Having a living God can change people. Understanding that, pe- that we have a living God can have a significant effect on how we approach church and how we approach life. There's a story, um, and this story is a, a story of a gentleman I'll call Max. Max is uh, a person that's been, I, I've mixed, met numerous times in the church. Um, and Max was a person who would come to church because that's what his family did. His grandparents did. His parents did, and now he did. And he'd come to church every Sunday, and as he got older, he continued to do that. And it was like he ticked off. It was one of the things he would tick off. Church was important for him. Um, he would come along to listen. But he'd also at times be critical of things. And he'd also sometimes wonder why, why was he spending time in church when he could be out enjoying the sun, going fishing, going on a boat, enjoying life, because that's what a lot of his other friends did. The other things that... that one stage worried Max was he was finding that living in the world amongst the people he lived with, church didn't seem to be that relevant. The Christian faith didn't seem to be so relevant. That was until one day when things started to come together. You see, Max was a person who would spend time in Bible study and spend time with other Christians studying the word, but he also spent time listening to God's word intently. And what he started to realise, that he had this view of God, that God was the God of the past, the God of the ancient. And there was a question that really changed how he took, related to Christianity. It seemed to be an insignificant question, but it was a question to do with the music. One day, somebody complained about some contemporary music that was played in church. And Max's immediate response was, hold on a moment. Because the person said something along the lines of, that's not real music, that's not the real music that God would like. We should be singing hymns out of the old hymn book. And Max went, does that mean God's only limited to the 1500s or the 1600s? And that got him exploring and thinking, does, what is this Christian faith about? And then he read some of the New Testament, the New Testament stuff in the to the early church, where it talks about God being the God of the living. And this started this whole change process of him understanding that he was following a living God, not a God of the past, not a God of the present, but also a God of the future, a God that continues to be alive in us and that we're called to have this living faith, a faith that is living, that is ongoing, that continues to grow. And so Max's whole attitude to church and to life changed. When he came to church, he wasn't worried about was the things in order like they used to be, were the things right. He wasn't worried about the, what he called the human significant things. Um, did everyone look right? Did such and such look happy enough? Did the sermon go sh- 
short enough where we finish by a certain time. What he was interested in, what was the main priority, was him to listen to God's word, to listen to the Bible readings, the songs, the sermon, and to listen to what was God saying for the rest of his life and to allow God to shape who he was rather than him saying God wasn't relevant. And he had this phrase that he coined that God is relevant for the rest of my life. The rest of my life is not always relevant to God. And that's because he saw, Matt, he saw God as a living God, a God that had relevance to who he was and how he went about things. And that's what we're talking a bit about today from today's reading, because today's reading is really about Jesus addressing this to the Sadducees, about to say that God is a God of the living. He's not a God of the past. And you'll get to see why the Sadducees thought about God of the past that was trying to control people. And so we're going to talk about faith in a living God. Jesus says he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. There's two things going on here. One is that God's making an announcement he's a God of the living. The other is he's also saying he sees you and me and many other people as alive. Now, we can only be alive eternally because of Jesus. And that's what Jesus is ultimately pointing to, that ultimately we need to trust in Jesus so that we too can be alive. But there's two questions I'd like you to think about as we to, to ponder on. When it comes to faith and life, how does focusing on the future change the way you live now? You see, when I have my week, when I'm thinking about my week, I've got to think about what are the things I need to achieve or what are the things that need to happen? What are the big picture things that need to happen or achieve? And that affects all the other little things that I do throughout the week. And when I do that well, I seem to be able to meet or all those things. Well, think about our life from that perspective. How does having a focus on the future affect our faith, affect our life now? And the second question was kind of related, but how does a relationship with a living God affect your life? How does knowing that God is a living God, the God that has relevance for everything you do, that God wants to speak into everything you are involved with, that God has also got hope for every situation... How does a relationship with a living God affect your life? I encourage you to keep pondering on those two questions. Let's have a bit of a deeper look at this text and some background of the text is what's helpful is to understand where this text that we read, this weird, slightly weird story that we read fits. What's happening is in Luke chapter 20, we're seeing Jesus' authenticity and authority being questioned. This starts off in verses 1 to 8. There's this heavy push that Jesus is... The, the people are starting to question his authority and his authenticity. Is he really the Messiah? Is he really from God? Is he really the real deal? But also, what authority does he have to say the things that he has? Because he hasn't come up through the normal historical way a rabbi would come up. And that's probably what they were expecting. And he's not speaking the way that they necessarily understand God. And when I say they, I'm talking about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and some other religious leaders. Then in response to that, Jesus tells a parable of the tenants, which really gets them upset. And I don't know if you recall the parable of the tenants. Basically, it is people have left, have been left behind to care for the owner's vineyard. And when the son comes to receive, get some money, he's killed, is the story. Right? 
other workers are killed, no respect for the owner, right? And then at the end of the story, it, Jesus says that these people who have disobeyed, disrespected the actual owner, will ultimately be killed and die, and the vineyard will go back to God. Well, the chief priests and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who are overhearing this, actually know that Jesus is pointing at them about this story. And they feel attacked. And so it ends with, this, this section of the scriptures ends with them wanting to attack Jesus. And so they then try the next thing is to trap, try to trap Jesus by asking a question about the money and the, about giving and things. And he talks about paying taxes to Caesar. Right? And if you remember the story, he looks at a coin and says, whose is a coin? Pay your taxes to Caesar. Don't avoid it. And that's about trying to get Jesus arrested by the government authorities because if he had said, don't pay your taxes to Caesar, he would be disrespecting the local government authorities and he didn't do that. But he's also in a quandary because, or they thought he was in a quandary because that means he's disobeying God because unlike Scott Morrison who doesn't think he's God, the leader of those people thought they were God. And then we get to today's story which is Whilst on the surface it appears about marriage, it's really about the living God and the resurrection, resurrected life. And we're going to unpack it a bit further of what that's on about. Then Jesus has another situation where, um, because think about the Jewish religion, the followers of the Jewish religion are looking at, they put David on a pedestal. And so they're saying that the son of David will be the Messiah. Well, Jesus asked the question, well, how can the son of David be the Messiah if even David said, he's my Lord? And then we get to probably one of my favourite parts of the scriptures, in one sense, where Jesus warns people about the um, false teachers of the law. And he has that favourite, famous saying, um, be wary of anyone teaching you with false teachers who walk in flowing robes. And so he's highlight, just be wary of who's been teaching. So this is where this fits. And it's all in this story about Jesus now under attack. And if you think about it, we've got the Sadducees. But in the group who are trying to attack Jesus are the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, these weren't friends. Have you ever seen when enemies unite against a common enemy? Well, this is what's happening with Jesus at the moment. He's got the Sadducees going against him and the Pharisees. They weren't friends. He also has the local government authorities going on against him and some chief priests. So these four groups who don't necessarily get along or agree on a lot of stuff have got Jesus as a common enemy and they're starting to attack him. And today's reading is about the Sadducees. It's the only place Luke mentions the Sadducees. The Sadducees are not um, overly well known apart from after 93 AD. So what about the Sadducees? The Sadducees, as Jimmy indicated, gave you some background to them. But the Sadducees, this is how they approached life. They took their authority. They were religious. They took their authority only from the first five books of the Bible, what we do, the Bible, which is known as the Torah. So that's all that mattered to them. They weren't interested in traditions. They weren't interested in any other of the scriptures. They may have been interested in the prophets when the prophets spoke about the, the, either of the first five books. The key, though, and this is why this story is a key, the key to understanding the Sadducees is they believed in God, but they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't think there was life after death. 
They didn't believe in angels and they didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in any of that. And that, this is what was going on. They were trying to trap Jesus in this situation. To basically discredit him by bringing up an issue. Now you might think this is a bit um, mean for them, but most of humanity do this from time to time. They bring up issues to try to discredit Christianity. And they'll ask questions that, we, that can't be answered, that only God can answer. And we'll get to how we deal with those in a few moments. There are other issues about the Sadducees. Is God and life was all about now. Their focus was, you follow the Torah, you do the good stuff, you, you have a relationship with God because, so you can have a better life now. I get a sense in reading the material about the Sadducees, they were the original prosperity theology people. The people who just followed God so God, life could either be rich or comfortable and we can get our way. The interesting thing, and this is, is Josephus, who is an early church historian, highlights that they were followed mainly by the people in power. And it actually makes sense if you think they, this is a group of people who are giving advice and teaching from the Torah, who are saying there's no resurrection, so everything that matters is all about life now. Making your life comfortable, making your being rich, so you can imagine, and keeping the status quo. Right? Josephus also highlighted that the Sadducees' reputation was they were legalistic, they were rude to anyone who didn't agree with them, they were aggressively rude, and they were conservative. There's probably some things for us to be wary of as a church that we don't fall into that trap because whilst we don't have the first five books of the Bible, one of the things we do do is say we follow God's word. Right? God's word is the foundation for all our faith. Right? We say the whole of scripture is God's word. We need to be careful that we don't fall into the trap the Sadducees did which was to be legalistic, rude to others who disagree with us and... Uh, those two points, because it's a, there's a problem when that happens. We don't share the good news of God. Instead, we do what the Pharisees and the Sadducees love doing, oppressing people. The other issue was this marriage issue. There's this thing, and Jimmy highlighted how it worked, but there's this thing of the, what they call the liberate marriage. And basically it worked this way. Husband dies without children, his brother is obliged to marry his wife. He doesn't have a choice. If he's not married, right? So Petrus, right? Think of your brothers. Who's the oldest, <laughs> right? If he died, the next son is obliged to marry the same wife. And this goes on. Now, some reasons behind that, and it's to do a little bit with the culture. First of all, um, there's a care for the wife. In those days, right, the wife didn't have much legal power, if any. And this is something that has been in Western society until recently. I um, remember talking to an elderly person who said, when we talked around this whole culture thing, she said, oh, that was back in my days. I wasn't allowed to open up a bank account unless I had permission of my husband. Huh? Right? So there's this care for the wife is the reason for this is in place. And the second reason is if you think about the Sadducees, the Sadducees about everything's about this life, and so it's not just about material things but also about my children. Well, this, man, this first man doesn't have a child, right? but his good name can continue through 
the children of his brother who marries the wife. So that's why this law was in place. One is to make sure the wife is cared for, and the second is so his good name can carry on. So that's what's going on with this, this marriage situation. So let's have a look at this reading. Verse 27. Basically, the Sadducees join the people who are trying to discredit and trap Jesus. What's happening is that they're on this roll. This movement is happening. They're already sensing that Jesus is someone special, someone powerful. He's, he's claiming to be the Messiah. And at what he might end up doing is upset our whole way of life. And so this movement is starting to build and the Sadducees now join in it. And then we come to verse 28 to 23 and basically it's the, the, the message that the woman is not having much luck in marriage. Right? Seven husbands. Now imagine if you were brother four. Right? And the brother above you dies. You were obliged to marry the woman. Imagine for a moment... What would go through your mind? I can tell you, I'd be going, I wonder what she's putting in their food. (laughs) But there's this thing of being obliged. They all die and have no children. And so they ask this question. Um, they, They say, finally the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Since the seven were married to her. Now, I've come across a number of people who have married twice and some three and I've, I actually know somebody who's married five times um, but it's unusual right they're not talking about a real situation they're talking about a situation they made up to try and trap Jesus now you might think oh this is just weird and odd but we do the same thing from time to time we come up with situations to think about Luther dealt with one situation I think he dealt with it um, in a particular while, someone said, will animals be in heaven? And his response is, this little dog, yes, the little dog will be in heaven with a golden tail. I think he was being sarcastic when he wrote that. Because right? there's no evidence of where animals will be in heaven or not. But he was making the point that if, he, if they're going to be in heaven, they're going to be better than they, have a better life than they have now. And so these Dorothy Dix or red herring questions that people can bring up, and this is what the Sadducees are doing, um, whilst I think they're being smart, Jesus actually responds in a way, a way that helps us see something about our resurrected life. Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and then the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. He probably didn't give them the answer thereafter. But what he did do is highlight that their foundation for life is up the creek. They actually don't understand how God operates, that God does live from a resurrection point of view. And what Jesus is basically saying here and if, Jesus put a lot more diplomatic than I would. If I was Jesus, I would have said, look, look, you've got to realise that what happens in heaven is different to what happens on earth. Heaven, eternal life, is not simply a continuation of life on this earth. Life will be different. Many people I meet operate with a view that heaven's going to be just a continuation, but perfect. Everything's going to be 
far better, but it's the continuation of this earth. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying it's going to be different. And so when it comes to marriage, if you've been married more than once and you're worried about what's it going to be like, which husband do I, or which wife do I have to deal with? Put it this way, when you get to heaven, that's not going to be a problem. You'll have a relationship with them, but there'll be no problems you have to worry about. You won't have the same sort of relationship that you with them that you had on earth. Right? But you won't have to worry about that issue. Right? Heaven, eternal life is not simply a continuation of this life. It will be different. And that's what he's trying to get through to the Sadducees. Right? If life, so if life will be different for resurrected people, then think about how does this change the way we live now? If life's going to be different when we're with God eternally in heaven, how does this change the way we live now? And we are called to live differently because Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 2, plus some other passages in Scripture say this, Since then you have re- been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So if you go back to my story about Max... Max, for much of his life, whilst he came to church, had his mind on earthly things, coming to church, praying for the sick, all good things, but very much was on earthly things. When he had that change of perspective where his focus of was on what's God on about, what's a resurrected life about, what it means to follow God and allowed that to influence, he was focused on heavenly things and changed the whole way he approached life. And that's the question I'd encourage you to think about is how does being a resurrected person, a person who God says, I'm going to raise from the dead, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you, how does being a person that has a life to look forward to with God in heaven change the way you live now? And then Jesus continues... But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but for of the living, for to him all are alive. Now, the reason Jesus has chosen that phrase, even Moses shows the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, is those three characters are mentioned in the first five books, the Torah. So the Sadducees are familiar with them and they, they, would, they would elevate them, a bit like some churches elevate certain Christians to be saints. They would elevate them. And so these are important people in our faith. And what Jesus says, if you follow these, you are following resurrected people because these people are the people that God spoke to. But not only that, God came to life in that burning bush. He spoke to Moses. And then think about Moses' life. For most of Moses' life, after the burning bush, he was leading people whilst following God, a God that would lead them with fire and smoke through the desert to the promised land. And the reason God does that, God doesn't see us as dead people. No. 
God sees all of us. The reason Jesus came to earth is that God sees all of us as alive people, people who have, can have life with him. He sees us as living people, not just on earth, but for eternity. As 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, By his power God raised the Lord from the dead, and he'll also raise and he will also raise us. And much of the New Testament is with that perspective. It's to encourage people like me and you, but also the early Christians, that life doesn't stop when we die. That there is a future to be lived with God in heaven. That our life is not about what we can accumulate or how comfortable or what good name we can create for ourselves on earth, but about our relationship with God in heaven. And so we have this story to help us to see that life is about a resurrected life that Jesus has made possible for us. So what does it mean for us now in living the faith? Well, the first thing is live knowing that Jesus has made it possible for us to have life beyond this earth, which will be better and different. So sometimes you're going to be worried about certain things. There'll be questions that you ask. Earlier in October, where there was the youth camp, back to base camp for the young people, for uh, those at high school, and I was the pastor on that camp, and they had every, well, for three of the days of the camp, they had this time where they asked a panel, it was called Puzzle the Panel, asked the panel some questions. The young adults, youth, would put questions in a box for me to answer. Now, that's a very dangerous thing to be involved with, right? Can you remember your youth, some of the mischievous things you got up to? Right? Some of the questions they put in there. But some of their questions were very genuine. So they asked questions about homosexuality because that's a real thing that's affecting them. Right? They wanted to know and they asked a lot of questions. There was a lot of questions around that area. And our, my, our responses were generally along the lines of, if heaven's going to be different, right? A, it's not going to be a big area issue to, to worry about. But secondly, remember this, God loves all people. God died for all people. If homosexuality is considered a sin, so there is many other sins that we should be thinking about as well. So, for instance, gossip. Does that mean a gossiper or somebody who's hated somebody or somebody who's hurt somebody or hasn't loved somebody? Not going to be in heaven? For all who trust in Jesus will have eternal life. There is hope for all people. And then there was other questions, like someone wrote a question. Um, will coriander be in heaven? Or does God, God love coriander? And the reason for that question is that Warren Bewey, they have a chef who's Bangladesh, who likes to put coriander in at least 50% of the food. And if you know anything about coriander, can I have a hand? Who likes coriander? Who doesn't like coriander? There's a few. Well, the kids have found some scientific evidence that say that 50% of the population, when they eat coriander, think it tastes like soap. Right? And so that's what the background of that question was. Will coriander be in heaven? Well, our response was something along the lines of, if coriander is in heaven, you will love it, even if you've hated it. Because <laughs> right? everything in heaven will be good. So live knowing that Jesus has made that future possible for you. The second thing 
is allow the future God has for you to shape who you are, what you do and how you think. Think about how God has made the future possible. It's not through what you've done. It's not through you proving how good you are, but it's about what Jesus has done for you. And now think about that future and allow that to shape who you are, what you do and how you think, how you relate to people. And that connects to our next point, is look at every discussion about God and life from the perspective of the resurrection. Yes, we're going to have heaps of questions. I've got heaps of questions of God. I have some questions which are in the box. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God these questions. Right? Because I can't find them in the Bible and they perplex me. Now, for some people, that's not good enough. But can I suggest that we, when people ask those questions that seem to be unanswerable from the Scriptures, let's point them to the resurrection, a bit like Jesus did on this occasion. And lastly, living the faith. Remember, God is a living God. You have a growing relationship with him, one focused on his future, one where he continues to want to interact with you through his word, through worship. By spending time with him, you'll get to see more of this living God. Your life will change. It will change constantly. I think the best advice when I got became a pastor come from somebody who was about 85 in my first congregation who said, God is still changing my life. And us old people hate change. Right? But the reality is when we interact with God, that's what happens. Because God speaks into our life and he speaks hope and he speaks a future. And he wants to be that living God in our life. But he also wants to be the living God through us. And so my encouragement to you is help others see that God is relative, but see that God is a living God. Not by changing what he says, but to see, help them to see how what he says relates to their life and their future. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful gift of life you have given us. We pray that you pour your Holy Spirit on us, that you open up our lives to your life as our living God. And Lord when we have those difficult questions to ask, help us not to be worried too much about them, but help us to trust, trust that you have an answer for us and that, they, they actually, that some of them don't actually matter. And Lord, when people ask us difficult questions about our faith, about you, help us to point them to your resurrection, that life with you eternally will be far different and far better than what we experience on this earth. And gracious Father, I ask you to be with each person here today. Pour your Holy Spirit on them and continue helping them in their life with you and with each other. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.